This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. BFM 89.9, good morning. I'm Roshan Kanesan and welcome to Resource Center, your one stop shop for insights and strategies to help build and grow your business. Neuroscience and leadership in business, often termed as neuroleadership, seeks to apply findings from neuroscience to improve leadership practices, decision making, and organizational culture. Neuroleadership focuses on understanding how the brain works and applying this knowledge to various aspects of leadership and management from problem solving to improving social skills and managing stress. Despite its pros and promises, there are also a number of challenges such as the risk of oversimplification and misapplication of neuroscience findings, with some critics arguing that the complexity of the brain cannot be directly mapped onto leadership practices without nuanced understanding and caution. So, what is the future of neuroscience in leadership and business and how can it be successfully applied in organizations today? Speaking with us today on blending these realms of neuroscience and leadership to improve leadership effectiveness, foster innovation and enhance organizational health is Dr. Avnesh Ratnanesan, founder and CEO of Energes, a firm focused on leadership development. If you have any thoughts, you can WhatsApp us over on our U-Mobile number that's 018-789-8899 or as always you can reach us on X at BFM Radio. Uh, Dr. Avi, welcome to the show. How are you doing? How's Australia's weather treating you? I'm doing really well. Um, fantastic weather as usual. And um, yeah, really excited to be here. Great to meet you. I understand you're in Sydney, correct? So not the temperamental weather that Melbourne t- uh, tends to offer. I hear you can get four seasons in a day over in Melbourne. We have better weather, better beaches, uh, but Melbourne beats us on coffee. So... Uh, <laughs> It's uh, even Stevens. Um, Dr. Abhi, I understand that you were a medical doctor before venturing into the corporate world and setting up a few businesses, including Energes. Um, tell us more about why you made that switch. Uh, uh, yeah, and why, was it, why did you make that switch? Yeah, it's been a really interesting life and career journey. I started my career as a medical doctor, as you mentioned, initially with the National Health Service uh, in the UK, and then I moved to Australia and worked as a doctor there for a few years as well. All very rewarding experiences. But at some point, I kind of felt that some of my skills weren't really being used in clinical medicine. Um, in university, I was good at math. Uh, we didn't really use math much in, in my aspects of medicine. And I kept reading the business news all the time out of interest after hours. And I kind of had this curiosity around, you know, um, can I take what I know and apply it and incorporate more of what I what I am uh, into my career? So I went about, uh, whilst working as a doctor, also doing an MBA, a master's in business administration, which really opened my eyes into the whole world of business and management. And when I graduated, I wanted to figure out, well, how can I use my medical degree and, and, um, and my business skills, which really was, you know, hospital management or the pharmaceutical industry. Spent five years in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, four of those years were at Pfizer in Australia, and I rose up very quickly from medical director to chief of staff and helped the business grow to about a billion dollars uh, a year in revenue and broke a national record on that. So one of the things that I realized was I really have a lot of strength in that space of, of business and management and, uh, and then spent the, the next 20 years in, in that field. When did you make the shift over to leadership development? Um, over time, as I founded NHS um, over almost 12 years ago, 
Um, I really started out by consulting to um, CEOs, business leaders, and so on, on issues around, let's say, the patient experience, so which is customer experience in hospitals. I then went on to, uh, in the pandemic, helping uh, to work on risk uh, because of the pandemic risk. We won a global award from the International Hospital Federation uh, for Call of Beyond the Call of Duty during COVID. After that, the biggest problem for a lot of organizations, they couldn't get the workforce. Um, you know, staff were um, moving to remote work. It was really hard to recruit. And I started working on the employee experience and employee engagement and workforce, the whole time looking at financials and ROI as well. So over this whole period, most of the time I was really working with CEOs and C-suite leaders to solve their primary business challenges. And I found that you know, this whole space of leadership development really requires a lot of skill, it requires a lot of experience, a lot of, it requires quite a bit of breath. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned um, in, in some of other sort of keynote speeches and so on, this whole aspect of the human science, how the body works, how the mind works, how the brain works, is really underutilized in the corporate world and in the business world. Yet it's fundamental to a lot of the business challenges that are occurring and even how you acquire customers, sales, marketing, mm -hmm. it, it, all of that is, is, is incredibly relevant to the medical sciences and vice versa. Now, talk to us a little bit about um, why, uh, why neuroscience and leadership is particularly uh, important to you and, um, and I guess the importance of this concept into the business world. Yeah, I think, I think we're going through a very, very interesting time in the world and in society in terms of, you see, now uh, more than 50% of the world's largest economies are businesses, not governments. Mm. Yeah, and, and that trend is only going to continue. So, so businesses are going to play a much bigger role in how the world shapes itself and the well-being of populations over time, right? They will have more of an influence on human lives than, 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 than governments themselves. So, in fact, many will say they already do. So if you want to make a very big change in the world uh, and a positive impact on human lives, influencing how businesses operate and how they shape themselves and the decisions that leaders make, the decisions that business leaders make, is going to be fundamental to not only their own growth, but also in terms of impacting the lives and well-being of, of the human race. Um, I then found that actually one of the big things that um, CEOs and business leaders want is to grow their businesses, increase financial <laughs> right? And so how do you marry the two and how do you actually help them care for their populations um, and, and also um, achieve their business growth goals? Uh, at the same time. And a lot of this I learned when I worked at Pfizer because I was working for a leader at the time, uh, John, and, and, and John was a fantastic CEO of the company. This is about 15, 15 years ago. And he was a CFO by background and also a former auditor with Price Waterhouse and so on. And, and, and when he retired, I, I, I asked John, John, what was your biggest achievement as a leader? You know, you've, you've helped the company grow to over a billion dollars in revenue. You've broken the record for the pharmaceutical industry in Australia. What's your biggest achievement? And I was sure, I was sure he was going to say it was the fact that we broke a billion dollars in revenue. Mm. But he didn't. He said, Avi, it was the people that I developed and, the, and what they went on to achieve uh, in their lives and in their businesses and in their work. Right. He cared about his people and that grew the business. Right? And as, as I went on to actually investigate the research and the science behind this, 
I found that actually the companies that actually invest in their people, their customers in the community grew 10 times more than the average in the, in the um, uh, S&P 500, which is the US stock market index, right? Incredibly high ROI compared to your average companies. And how does neuroscience link up to that then? Well, if you think about the behaviors of leaders, right? So you think about it, how your brain works and the science behind how your brain works, how your neurons interact with each other affect how you listen, how you talk, how you see the world, how you behave, and how you interact with other people and the decisions you make. It all comes back to your brain and mind. Right? And the leaders that actually exhibit these behaviors, if you draw it back, because we're in a time now with AI and neurobiology and so on, that we can analyze a lot of these behaviors of success and draw it back to how the brain and the body works. Right? And this is why if you really want to address the root causes of this, you can just go back to the science of how the brain and body works uh, and then translate it back into success, uh, successful routines and practices in the business world. Does that make sense? Yeah, essentially it's the behaviors that are exemplified by leaders and you're using the lens of neuroscience or at least the concept of neuroscience to examine that and, yeah. and help leaders, I guess, better understand how to approach these different aspects. Obviously, between your medical practice and now, it's, there was a 20-year gap, correct, where you entered the world of business. So the neuroscience application to leadership is relatively new to your you, – you've learned it in your corporate experience. Is that correct? Yeah. So it's, 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 um, it's not a 20-year gap more than a 20-year evolution. Mm. Right? You never forget all the things that you learn. You just build on your past skills and knowledge. And you bring that into the next engagement and the next career option. And everyone that's listening at the moment is probably has leveraged their skills from one area of the world onto another, right? And grown themselves as a result and grown their capabilities and experience as a result. The fact of the, the, the introduction of neuroscience into leadership is, is not a really new concept. Mm. It's probably very new to Malaysia um, and, and in terms of being introduced into uh, corporate development programs in Malaysia, and, and that's what I've been doing here. And, you know, uh, last year I spoke at the uh, national HR conference called NHCCE 2023 in, in Malaysia, and I was rated the top top rated speaker uh, at the conference, right, by an audience of several thousand. Uh, why, why is that? And, and I spoke a little bit about neuroscience and so on. It's because it's intuitively, um, once people understand how the brain works, it becomes intuitive to you because you've been behaving in this way the whole time, right? Um, as you start to um, understand why you do things and why your brain has been programmed in a certain way based on past corporate experiences, past life experiences, how you were taught in school, um, how your parents taught you and shaped uh, your behaviors around money, uh, shaped your behaviors around relationships, um, you start to then realize, okay, I make these decisions around money. I make these decisions around who I hang out with at work. I make these decisions around my career choices, often influenced by, um, you know, the the influences of my social circle, my group of friends, and my parents. But that's all affected your brain. Hmm. Uh, that's all affected um, the the neurons in your brain and how they how they connect to each other, and that influences the decisions you make. So sometimes it's really important to actually understand, um, you know, some of these past experiences, how they've affected. Um, uh, the way your neural patterns work, 
the way your behaviors and your your speech patterns work in order for you to actually figure out oh this is why i'm here today this is why i'm performing well at work today this is why my business has grown or my team has grown or this is why my my team doesn't like me or this is why you know we're having challenges in the business at the moment right it's very very powerful uh but it does require a bit of thinking and intelligence to to get there fortunately now with um you know with things like chat gpt uh, books ai and so on uh you know we were able to access this information often the the big challenge is how do i actually apply it in my workplace right that's that's really where the gap is dr we've got to go into a few messages when we come back we'll talk about insights from neuroscience and how that can help improve decision-making processes in leadership roles, among many, many other things. Folks, I've been speaking with Dr. Avnish Ratnanesan, founder and CEO of Energes, a firm focused on leadership development. And we've been talking about neuroscience and leadership on this episode of Resource Centre, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow and scale your business. I'm Roshan Ganesan. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep here at BFM 89.9, the business station burning for more bfm 89.9 the business station bfm 89.9 welcome back to resource center your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help build grow and manage your business i'm roshan kanison and today we're talking about blending the realms of neuroscience and leadership to improve leadership effectiveness foster innovation and enhance overall organizational health with Dr. Avnish Ratanisan, founder and CEO of Energes, a firm focused on leadership development. Dr. Avi, earlier we were talking, we were talking about, I guess, your ba- uh, some of your background, but also some of the introduction into why looking at neuroscience in leadership is important. And it comes down to the behaviors that leaders show, right? It, all of it comes down to that intersection between neuroscience and leadership, uh, another key term for us to understand before we really dive into all this is neuroplasticity. Uh, could you define that for us? Help us understand what that entails. Yeah, sure. So, you know, neuroplasticity really refers to the brain's ability to organize itself or reorganize itself by forming new neural connections. So the, the brain is uh, is not static. It, it's constantly sort of um, evolving uh, in, in, in its connections. And what we experience, what we see, what we hear um, day to day is constantly influencing how our brain uh, shapes itself. Um, this is why when you learn new things, you adopt more new skills, um, you can actually use those skills um, in practice moving forward based on actually the, the sensory stimuli. Um, what are sensory stimuli? So sight, sound, touch, hearing, all the senses that you experience day to day actually influence how the the brain works. Now, the interesting thing about neuroplasticity is that your workplace, the people you interact with socially and at work, um, the environment, uh, all influence how your brain shapes itself, which then influences the business culture, the culture at work. And so, if you're around a lot of people who have successful behaviors, who are hardworking, who are happy and healthy, the science shows that there's a higher probability that you will be the same uh, as them, or you will adopt behaviors um, that help you be healthy, successful, so on and so forth, vice versa. If you're around people that have more of a scarcity mentality, who have 
more financial challenges. Uh, the science even shows that if you're around people that have problems with weight and obesity, you are also more likely to have financial challenges or challenges with weight or obesity. So um, the brain subconsciously and subconsciously is constantly um, absorbing information and then in some ways actually replicating some of those similar behaviors. Um, why this is really important in leadership development is because obviously, you know, when it comes to business leadership, we want to help um, leaders, managers develop behaviors that are successful for them, um, behaviors that actually can foster more collaboration, can have uh, build trust amongst colleagues, uh, that can make people feel safe and comfortable at work, uh, can help um, leaders feel more financially abundant and drive results. And so being around that and understanding how um, the brain constantly shapes itself means that we want to create or leaders want to create environments and provide stimuli in the workplace that is supportive to driving those results. I, I guess once again, showing that importance of thinking or considering uh, neuros about neuroscience uh, in the workplace and leadership and management. Um, with that in mind, uh, could you share with us insights from neuroscience uh, that can help us improve decision-making processes in leadership roles, particularly uh, under stress, which I'm sure a lot of leaders are familiar with? Yeah, absolutely. So stress is a big one whereby, you know, stress affects how the brain works. And, you know, different parts of the, uh, different parts of the brain, the neocortex of the brain is really where the, the part of the brain that um, uh, processes facts. Um, you have the uh, limbic system of the brain and that one processes emotions more. And then you have sort of um, the, the brainstem and so on, which um, kind of reacts to uh, what do they call the reptilian brain, which um, really is all about the survival instincts, the threat response and so on. Now, if you're in a working environment where you're constantly feeling under threat, and what I mean is, um, you know, your boss comes up to you and says, you know what, if you don't get me this report in time, you're going to be fired, mm. right? Um, if you don't perform or you achieve this result, uh, we're going to replace you, right? If you're constantly under that sort of threat, in the short term, you may produce results. But in the long term, it's not only unhealthy on you, it actually um, can affect the decision-making around how you work in the company, um, the choices that you make, um, how you handle yourself outside of work, uh, which ultimately can be very, very negative. What happens then? Um, you perform poorly because you're overstressed, you burn out. Um, you may even leave the company, even though you've been a high performer uh, in many instances. So understanding how stress works is really important on some of the decisions you make. What are the ways to mitigate some of that, right? Um, one of the things is, you know, taking regular breaks to and, and having yourself, giving yourself time for reflection so that you prevent what's called decision fatigue, right? When you're mm -hmm. stressed, you're con constantly pushed to achieve um, certain goals. Um, you can get fatigued and the quality of your decisions actually becomes poorer. The science shows this. Um, the thing that's really a challenge, though, is that all of us are very different in our biorhythms. All of us, um, some people need uh, much more breaks than others. 
and and and, and others can work at high uh, you know of just uh, uh, met a uh, someone in, in the political field who sleeps about three hours a day, right? <laughs> and high functioning uh, in that in that manner for you know decades, right? Whereas other people, myself included, high functioning, but I need eight hours sleep a day, right? And I, I need to break that up. So understanding how your individual um, uh, mind and body work and, and and that neurobiology is really important to then saying. Well, how, what, are, what are my personal mechanisms uh, to deal with stress uh, in this situation? You mentioned that your relationship with your boss, right? That can be a big part of how neuroscience can play a role in leadership, right? How you engage with your employees, how you talk to them, how you lead them. What neuroscience-informed strategies do you generally recommend for enhancing employee engagement and motivation? Because that seems to be a key part of that previous uh, point you made. Yeah, no, 100%. Uh, one of the big, um, uh, you know, before, before coming into Malaysia and, and working with Malaysian leaders, one of the things we did was research what some of the uh, major challenges amongst the uh, leaders and their workforce. And, and one of them is certainly this um, uh, aspect of, you know, motivating staff is, is very difficult. You know, you've got some staff that are quite self-motivating and others that really just want to, you know, do the basic bare minimum at work and then sort of go home and, and and do other things. And so, you know, companies here are really trying to engage yourself, motivate them uh, and, and actually, you know, drive more performance, particularly now when the economy is, you know, quite challenged in, in some areas and, and they're looking for ways to um, obtain better productivity um, from their workforce. One of the things to kind of really, you know, coming back to this um, principles uh, of neuroscience and uh, individuality is that understanding that every individual has um, very different motivators, right? Some people motivated more by um, intrinsic rewards. Hmm. So intrinsic rewards are things like um, appreciation, you know, uh, a sense of appreciation, a sense of uh, feeling cared for, a sense of, um, you know, connecting and having good friends at work and having a great social environment at work. Other people are more uh, motivated by extrinsic rewards. That is, you know, having pay, uh, material pay, bonuses, um, getting a, a, a title, a new title at work, say manager to senior manager uh, to director. You know, these are all other ways of, of extrinsic uh, reward-based mechanisms. So, you know, if you understand sort of the neuroscience of, of human beings, then and you understand this sort of concept of intrinsic and extrinsic rewards, um, you know, stimulate the brain's uh, dopamine receptors, uh, re- dopamine release, uh, sorry, so that you actually feel more uh, stimulated and excited to um, continue at work, it helps you actually shape your reward mechanisms in the workplace. Right, it actually helps you shape um, how you can trigger dopamine release. Very simple example, uh, in, a, in a technological level, is Facebook. Right, mm. everyone knows Facebook, mm. the Facebook feed and the news feed. Every time you scroll your, your, your Facebook feed or TikTok feed or uh, Insta Insta feed, that new piece of information that comes through actually stimulates dopamine release in your brain. Right now, these companies know that they build that into your technology. And therefore, you end up scrolling for hours and hours and hours. And all they're trying to do is increase the reward mechanisms in your brain. So they know the neuroscience really, really well. And they build that into their products. 
um, the same science can be applied into um, into the, um, the, the the corporate culture. So one of the things you can do that's really really simple is actually having let's say a daily huddle at work or a weekly huddle, uh, and say to the team and actually actively go around. Uh, what are your wins today, right? Or what are your wins this week? And actually start a meeting with that question. Because what it does, it actually uh, engages everyone in the in the room to actually consciously raise a win for them. Uh, and that win might seem like a small win to others, but it's, you know, it could be a big win for them. But that win and that, that the conscious mind actually um, uh, raising uh, the, the win at work actually releases that dopamine and keeps them stimulated, right? So particularly through stressful moments and stressful times, um, bringing up those wins uh, tends to help to keep people going. However, the problem is that this isn't normal management practice, mm. right? If, if people are underperforming, uh, we're criticizing, we're, we're telling them where they've gone wrong, uh, you know, that they're not good enough. Uh, and so on and so forth, and that creates even more stress, and and, and result can actually result in ongoing poor performance. So one of the things that I do when I coach CEOs and leaders and so on is actually um, train them on how to understand how the you know the their own brains work, but how to reframe uh, some of the situations based on neuroscience to um, to actually help stimulate um, uh, the brain. The other technique that's really good is, is you know, in, in you know, being a radio person and media person, it is storytelling. Mm. So believe it or not, storytelling, telling stories that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, uh, and, and and a win at the end, um, are also very very powerful to create an emotional connection. Sometimes CEOs and business leaders are out there in the the, the town halls and in the uh, board meetings and they're reporting all the facts and people are going to sleep and they're getting bored <laughs> they're not excited you know by 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 what's being presented uh, but if you tell a story um sometimes a, a story of one customer interaction you know here we, we've made this product we delivered it to the customer the customer was super happy all their staff were very satisfied um etc etc you know they they gave us a, um, a big thank you and everyone's really happy very effective uh, for then engaging, um, you know, humans to actually feel a, a sense of satisfaction um, of achievement. You know, not just the the facts and numbers. The facts and numbers can be very, very um, satisfying for, for example, the CEO, or CFO, and some shareholders. But sometimes not very engaging for employees. So understanding what actually stimulates that dopamine release uh, in in the brains of your employees is, it can be very powerful to continue to drive that engagement through communications. Uh, in the company and so on. Dr. Avi, uh, we've got to go into a few messages. When we come back, we'll talk about neuroscience principles to effectively manage change, as well as how uh, neuroscience can be tapped to guide leaders to create a culture of creativity, as well as stress management. We'll touch a little bit more on that. Folks, I've been speaking with Dr. Avnish Ratnanesan, founder and CEO of Energes, a leadership development firm. And we've been talking about neuroscience and leadership and how these two can blend together to help leaders better manage their organizations and the people in their businesses. You've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow, and manage your business. I'm Roshan Ganesan. We'll be back in just a bit. So keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. Big Front Man, BFM 89.9.
BFM 89.9, welcome back to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow, and manage your business. I'm Roshan Kanizan, and today we're talking about blending the realms of neuroscience and leadership to improve leadership effectiveness, foster innovation, and enhance organizational health with Dr. Avnesh Ratnanesan, the founder and CEO of Energes. Dr. Avi, you were earlier talking a little bit about tapping into neuroscience-backed strategies in order to improve engagement with employees. You know, you talked about storytelling as a key part of that, uh, among other things. Um, there are a few other ways or a few other main concerns that leaders have to deal with. One, obviously, in this very ever-changing world of business that we live in, um, it seems like every other year there's something to deal with, the key theme. You know, it was a pandemic a few years back and then digitalization. Now, obviously, uh, generative AI has kind of changed the game quite significantly. Yeah. Um so with that in mind, talk to us about how leaders can use neuroscience principles to effectively manage change and reduce resistance within their organizations when it comes to the need to adapt, among other things. Sure. Um, I think the, you know, the, the, the world is constantly evolving with high degrees of uncertainty, right, all the time. So you have, as you, as you rightly mentioned, pandemics, wars, uh, economic um, uh, declines, um, so on and so forth. And, and that makes people feel quite um, uncertain, anxious, stressed uh, at work, and that can affect um, how their brain operates and how, um, how, how long and how effective uh, they can be um, in the workplace. So in order to drive change, one of the things that um, people are generally uh, not in favor of is not change, but change that they don't want, mm. right? Uh, it's not that we don't want change. This is the, the misnomer. It's just that we don't want change that we didn't choose, right? I pretty much guarantee you that if I, if I sat you down on a holiday island and just let you chill out, <laughs> after about two or three days, you'll want to change something, mm. you know? You'll want to go and um, discover something new or try something new, but it's... It's based on your choice. Um, the, the, the fact that when we choose something and we're given a sense of autonomy of that choice and that control, that actually helps activate our own reward systems and we want to do it more. Why resistance occurs is because we feel that change is imposed on us. And when there's a lot of uncertainty in the world and then... Um, People, you also feel this lack of control because your bosses, your managers are trying to control you and change your organization and change how you've always done things in the workplace. Um, that can be very stressful. So in order to um, understand or, or basically bring people on the journey of, let's say, digital transformation, you're trying to introduce a new technology platform or you're trying to re reduce a new a bonus or incentive structure in the company, or you're having this major restructure and so on. Um, it's really important for leaders to actually communicate uh, and create this environment or, or psychological safety to reduce this sort of fear responses, right? And what do I mean by that? What I mean is give people certainty, right? Give people uh, clarity on where the company is going to go in the future. Uh, give people clarity and certainty around hey, we're still going to wake up tomorrow and this is what we're going to do next. This is the projects we're going to invest in. These are the activities we're going to continue to do. Here are the customers that we're going to continue to serve. 
here are the products uh, and new products we're going to tweak or launch uh, moving forward, all of which give people a degree of certainty uh, around their work, which then reduces the level of stress in the brain and allows them to continue to perform. Unfortunately, and, and you know, I've just coached uh, another CEO on this recently because you know, uh, he was trying to motivate his staff and the way he was doing it was actually having a, a sort of organizational-wide uh, meeting and then telling everyone how bad the situation is, <laughs> how, how bad the financials are and how everyone's got to work harder uh, again to achieve their goals. And we're going to do all these activities, but ooh, I, I really don't know if we're going to make it. Uh, so I really want you guys to bundle together. And 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 then and then he got a few complaint emails uh, in his inbox, and he said, "Are we, you know, why 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 is this happening?" And I said, "Okay, what did you actually tell them, and how do you, and more importantly, how did you communicate uh, the current situation?" After he relayed that to me, I said, "Well, people don't have a sense of certainty from what you've just communicated, so it's no surprise you're getting these, you know, resistance emails uh, from some of your 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 key leaders, right?" And so if you understand how, uh, you know, the brain works and neuroscience works and, and the need for uh, a feeling of uh, continuous psychological safety and rewards uh, and reducing threat, right? Because often threat isn't, you know, things like pandemics and wars and so on, um, you know, can create fear. But very often, some of these don't directly impact you on a day-to-day -day basis. There's just a perceived risk of them impacting you, right? And so if you can give people control, give people choice, um, understand what motivates them, which is the need for safety, the need to feel comfortable, the need uh, for, hey, I've got your back. No matter what happens, I've got your back. You'll continue to have a, a job here. And even if you don't, I'll find you one uh, through our networks um, or through our subsidiaries or through our partner companies such that you'll always be secure. That really helps create that sense of security. Um, and so it's really important to build that into communication, but also continue to give people uh, a sense of uh, autonomy uh, and control. And some of that may even be saying, hey, look, you know, we're going to change our Things are tough. We're going to change our goals. What do you think the future goals should be? How do you think they should be? Um, uh, your, your targets should be kind of recalibrated moving forward. And then it comes down to negotiation. But the fact that you're actually offering people a, 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 a say in how to move forward um, actually helps in kind of reducing that fear fear response as well. Now, uh, a key part, I guess, in companies getting through uh, changing the changing business world and all the ups and downs that come with it um, can be innovation and creative thinking in within your organization in order to adjust and move forward and, and I guess be on the top of things. Um, what can you tell us or what have you, how do you talk to uh, C-suites and uh, uh, CEOs about tapping into what we've talked about so far? We've talked about uh, change management uh, and other things, but in terms of how do you tap into neuroscience to create that culture that fosters innovation and creativity uh, in order to not just keep up with the time spot, may, maybe even be ahead of the curve? Yeah. Um, you know, it's a really interesting one with innovation because everyone wants to do it, but no one's got time for it <laughs> and no one ever invests in it, right? Um, and, and so, you know, but, but I think sometimes people don't recognize that they are actually innovating. They just don't call it innovation. 
right? And and one of the things that that I see in 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 the Malaysian business culture is that there is a lot of innovation, and and people are constantly um, trying new things. There's this kind of Malaysia bole culture, you know, where you know everything is a can do, and 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 we'll find a way to do it. Uh, what I call CFBE. Uh, cheaper, faster, better, and easier. <laughs> and um, and 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 there's a strength here uh, around doing that. One of the things that's really important in um, in innovation, in sort of innovative cultures and companies, is this whole idea of embracing failure um, as a learning opportunity, and and reframing it as a um, as a um, not not as a as a, a setback, but as an opportunity to grow. Right, and that's where this sort of growth mindset comes from. And often I talk to business leaders here and say, "How do I create a growth mindset? How do I create a growth mindset?" And I say, "Okay, well, how are you actually dealing with failure at the moment?" They go, "Well, we don't talk about failures here." <laughs> right. And so, so there's this there's this contradiction, right? Because if you can't talk about the failures and you 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 push it under the the the, the hood, uh, you know, um, you know, sort of wipe it under the rug and never talk about it then you can never learn from it, right? And if you never learn from it, then you, can, you can't really improve. And, and actually what happens is that the company ends up having lots of failures. No one really knows why. People really get frustrated and, and they all get hidden, right? And there's a very toxic culture that builds uh, from that. And you see that a lot in large bureaucratic organizations uh, and even in you know, politics and government, um, those sorts of things tend to happen. And so the most highly successful companies that, you know, and many of these are um, the, the fastest growing companies in the world have been the tech giants, right? You know, your Facebook, your Google, your Amazon, and, and so on. A lot of these companies, um, they, they're, they're saying is fail fast and fail forward, right? Which is, um, you know, you, you have a failure, you, you learn from the mistake um, really fast, you adapt and move on. Uh, but that means that the leaders in the company can't get too pissed off if if people make mistakes. Mm. You've kind of got to accept that there's going to be a, a lot of mistakes because we as humans continuously make mistakes, right? But we've got to be quite accepting of that uh, to some degree, to some degree, and actually allow a culture for people to talk about, well, why did this, why did this mistake happen? Why did we not achieve, you know, our sales target? Why did we not achieve, uh, you know, our operational cost targets and so on? What did we learn from this? And what are one or two or three improvements that we can make tomorrow um, to, to improve that? That creates that culture of safety. It creates the ability to for continuous learning. Uh, it creates that feeling of, hey, I'm quite supported here and I can try new things and I can try growth. And that's proven to encourage fast growth, right? That kind of culture uh, has been proven just from, you know, just the industry growth of a lot of these tech companies. And, and we're seeing some of that corporate bureaucratic behaviors now start to, you know, feed into these tech companies as, as they become big uh, behemoths and so on. But really, um, that notion of embracing failure as a learning opportunity is, is critical. And in our company, you know, what we do is we have a learning huddle uh, at the end of the week. And uh, one of the questions we ask is, what did I break and what did I learn? Right? And, and so we actually go around the room and actually say, okay, what did I break this week? We actually actively ask people to talk about their mistakes, um, and 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 then go and, and this is what I learned, and that just makes it a safe space to to actually fail, uh, because that that's the trait of of uh, 
uh, employees that then go on to innovate, you know, and have a culture of innovation. Uh, Dr. Ivy, we've got a few minutes left before we've got to wrap up this conversation. Uh, I'm sure a key thing that's going to be on the minds of many leaders is how can I use this to, you know, work with my team better? How do I use this to optimize team dynamics and performance and maybe get more out of my employees, especially given this uh, people are a bit more concerned over bottom line today, given the high interest rate environment, among other things. Uh, Talk to us about uh, optimizing team dynamics. Yeah, so, you know, I think firstly is, you know, just recognizing that your, your team is a group of people that all have different values, behaviors, uh, motivators, uh, and so on, right? Just understanding that everyone's got different, um, everyone's different. Building that sense of empathy as a leader to individual differences is almost step one in building your awareness of, of being a great leader or being an inspiring leader. Because in, in, in the understanding of um, that sort of individualistic neurobiology, neuroscience, and so on of, of every individual, you'll start to understand that actually, um, whilst you're setting goals for each team member and, and, and everyone in the team is aligned on those goals, they may not be individually motivated to do so. Mm. I just want a program in um, here in Malaysia um, for tr- you know, transformational leaders program, and we started off by actually doing a self-assessment called this. We call it self-leadership scan, where people are actually able to assess their physical health, mental health, career goals, financial goals, um, spiritual health, environmental health, and so on on a personal level, right? And actually understand where their own gaps are in their lives, and then set out their own business goals and work-related goals for the next quarter and the next for the next year. And the next exercise would actually align the gaps in their personal lives with their business goals and see if there's any connection, right? Because one of the reasons people don't achieve their objectives and the key results and so on is actually something in their lives and their personal goals conflict, oh. right? Isn't that alignment? And so by actually understanding, hey, you know what? If I achieve my business goals, I achieve my bonus, I achieve my financial goals, I'm able to feed my family, I'm able to go on this holiday this year, and I really want to go on this holiday this year, and all of a sudden, that connection between the holiday and the business goals encourages and and enhances your ability to achieve the goal because you've aligned your motivators between your work goals and your personal ones. But often, you know, we don't take the time, leaders and managers don't take the time to coach uh, their teams through this. Um, they don't actually have performance management conversations. They don't. Um, um, uh, they, they're not structured in how they actually collect feedback from their employees and give recognition for the positive behaviors that they want to drive uh, in the workplace. It's a lot of studies that show that you know a coaching culture uh, and managers that are able to coach their employees well actually pro- prove um, higher, well higher than average. Um, uh, stock market performance year on year for decades. You know, companies like like Stryker, which is a medical device company, have done this um, over over many decades and so on. And so, there really is a lot to a lot of potential in actually um, doing the right thing by your people, using the science around um, how to actually get your teams to collaborate, tap into their strengths, reduce the fear of uh, making mistakes, um, reduce the fear of uh, uncertainty. Uh, and actually then driving performance uh, and better team dynamics through 
uh, what we've just talked about. And just remember that, you know, the, the neurons that wire together, fire together, the, the concept of neuroplasticity, as more and more of your team members start to think in more positive ways that align to the values of the company and uh, the, the financial and business results that you want, uh, that will just spread, right? That, that will just spread. And, and organizations like Netflix and, and, and so on are able to do this really, really well by building trust um, and, and creating that psychological safety. So people are able to share ideas and take risks uh, to innovate in the company. Dr. Avi, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. I'm sure there's a lot more we could get into, but we need a whole other show for and more, I think, uh, for that uh, to talk about all the nitty-gritty of neuroscience. But I'm sure it'll only be a matter of time before we have you back on the show. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, Roger. Great to be here. Folks, I was speaking with Dr. Avnesh Ratnanesan, founder and CEO of Energess, a leadership development firm. And you've been listening to Resource Center, your one-stop shop for insights and strategies to help you build, grow and manage your business. If you missed any part of this conversation, you can catch the podcast on our website at bfm.my or download the BFM app. Our shows are also readily available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and other podcast players. Just look for Resource Center. Looking ahead, we've got the 12pm news bulletin and and then Enterprise Explores, where we will continue to help you navigate the ever-changing universe of business from the headlines to the bottom line. I'm Roshan Gunnison. This has been Resource Center. Keep it here to BFM 89.9, the business station. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.